I didn't see anybody dancing. On the inside, that'll work. Good morning. I'm Ray. Uh, Adam is uh, in the great state of Ohio, north of the Ohio River, in the Midwest, Yankee Land, Ohio State. Anybody here? Shout out for... Okay, okay. I just did that just for you. Uh, my name's Ray, and uh, I'll be filling in for Adam uh, today. Uh, how's everybody? Good. About, I'd say 25% of us are good, yes? Uh, before we get started, uh, one bit of family, family, family business. Uh, Pam Robles, are you in this room or in the other room? I'll bet she's in the other room. Um, hey, Glenn, could you uh, try to rustle up Pam just for us? Just briefly. Hey, Pam, they're talking about you in the big church. Hey, Pam, they're talking about you. This is a well-oiled machine when Pastor Adam is gone. Can you tell? We've got this down smooth as can be. There she is. Um, our, what do I, <laughs> boy, do I feel at home now. <laughs> Pam Robles is our Irish Latina. We love her so much. Um, um, the, I, you know, the, we are so culturally attuned at the Vineyard that we took a professional woman of red hair and fair skin and said, we'll send her to South America as our missionary. Huh? How smart is that? Yeah? She doesn't stick out in Peru at all, do you? This, this is her last Sunday uh, with us. Uh, she's, she still has her multinational tour to go on which includes Iceland and Belgium. Multicontinental tour. There we go. She's got some other places to visit, but this uh, will in all likelihood be her last Sunday with us. So can we send her off with like blessings? Is that all right? And um, um, what I want you to do is I want you to think if I were going to go away for another undetermined period of time, one or two years, probably won't see you for a while, right? Um, how would I want people to pray for me? So don't just like nod, um, you know, approvingly while, you know, one person prays. P- pray like you'd want somebody to pray for you if you were going away. Is that all right? Jesus, we love this woman. She is of us. Lord, she's a gift to us. And even when she's far away on another continent, she is of us and we are of her. And we ask your blessings, your presence, your richness your kindness to go with her. In fact, we ask that it would pave the way, it would go before her, that it would be with her and that it would follow after her. Lord, would you fill her with the knowledge of your will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Lord, would you let her be an ambassador of your kingdom? Would you give her favor with with governments and regular people? We ask for that. Encourage her heart strengthen her body and be with her in more ways than we even know to ask. In your name we pray. Amen. Can you feel the love? Huh? Come on, she's crying. Hey, you guys, uh, thank you, Pam. God bless you. We're good. You know how sometimes, you know, you've got like a $10 bill folded up and you put it way in the back of your wallet just in case there's an emergency or a $20 bill. It's like your emergency money. Okay, I'm here to tell you, nothing's going to go wrong today, okay? So take that little bit of emergency money, and when you hug her goodbye, just give her it. Give it to her, okay? Is that all right? 
All right, we don't have to like do an official offering, but you know, we want to not only pray for her, but we want to give something of our substance to her. So, all right, that's Pam. And uh, we really, really do. Hey, how many years you've been in Peru now? Eight years she's been there. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. All right. Um, well, then, let's get to it. Uh, we started a um, series two weeks ago on Paul's letter to the Colossians. And, uh, you know, the people in the vineyard marketing department gave it this jazzy name, the Cosmic Christ. Uh, and um, the, the, what we're going to do is we're going to work our way through the book of Colossians. Adam said originally it was going to be an eight-week series, but the truth is we don't know. Uh, we, uh, Adam met with uh, me and several other people that are going to share the uh, preaching burden with him over the coming weeks. And, uh, you know, uh, we realized pretty soon that the word of God, all of it, but like especially Colossians, is so deep and rich. There's so much there that uh, we're just going to kind of go with it. Is that all right? You know, we'll, we'll be ready for the Advent season when Christmas shows up. But some, somewhere between now and Christmas, we'll, uh, uh, we'll finish with this. And when we do a series, it's always good to review. Adam did the uh, week one uh, in which he talked about the fact that this is a letter it's a letter written by this guy who was an apostle, a fancy word that means church planter, uh, to uh, a church that actually he didn't even plant. This was one of his co-workers, one of his friends, one of his protégés, or uh, one of his mentees uh, actually planted this church in a city called Colossae, which is in modern-day Turkey. And uh, when Adam introduced the letter, you know, he said, look, the letter doesn't deal with everything. It deals with some things. Uh, and so a letter is always uh, occasional. And one of the best pieces of advice I've ever heard about coming to the scripture Adam gave us in week one, he said, if you really want to understand uh, the letters, just uh, as, as you open up the, the word of God or as you scroll to the word of God, just say, Holy Spirit, why would Paul write that? How's that for a deep prayer, right? No fancy words, no great theological. Just you start to read it and go, Holy Spirit, why would Paul write that? It was really, really good advice. And Adam pointed out to us that um, this letter is infused, uh, it's, it's underwritten with the stories of people. You know, it starts out with, you know, Paul and Timothy, uh, and then he mentions a guy named Epaphras. And then on the back end, you know, there are great names. There's Demas and Luke and uh, Ar- uh, Archippus and, uh, you know, all these different names. In fact, there's 12 different people besides Paul that are mentioned in the letter. And part of what we want to understand when we read the letters that Paul wrote to churches, just like the church that we are here, is that it's about people, it's about people, it's about people. In fact, Adam said this, he said, the alone life is never the spiritual life. And you see, I'm an obnoxious Yankee. I grew up in Chicago. I don't like people. I love humanity. It's people I can't stand. And part of God's cleansing in my life is to make me actually like people. So... Why are you laughing? Because you know that's true, don't you? Yes. There we go. And then uh, not only is it this letter that's undergirded with these relationships and the like, but it's a letter from prison. Paul, and we're not exactly sure where. Some people think Rome. Some people think somewhere else. Paul was at the time imprisoned. And yet there's this, it's this soaring, beautiful hymn to who is Jesus. It's this letter of encouragement. And yet the person that wrote it was in prison. And uh, one of the, the, the little tidbits that, that I had in my notes from, uh, from this message was Adam said, you know, it's the crushed grape 
that releases the sweet juice. And uh, it's not as though God the Father wants to crush any of us, uh, although Jesus had a special uh, mission in that because the Old Testament says it pleased the Father to crush him on our behalf. But when life actually bears down on us, an incredibly unexpected thing happens, uh, things plural, when those things happen, it actually can release the sweetness of what God's put inside of us. So, so that was week one. Uh, and then in week two, Adam started to actually deal with the text and what he called the direction of all things. Great image. This was the overarching metaphor is that there is this, there's this current of history. It's a cosmic current. It's, uh, it's a spiritual current. And the truth is, is that we want to go in the inevitable. We want to join in with the inevitable direction of all things. Um, it's difficult and it's downright dangerous to go against the flow of destiny History is not secular. It is linear. There is a creator God who spoke the world into creation. And at some point, depending on your science or theology, thousands or millions or billions of years, there'll be an end to history. And there's this flow. And the flow starts with the cross. And the flow is the redemptive blood of Jesus that just continues to pour out for every tribe, every nation, every tongue. And Adam cautioned us, don't go against the, the eternal flow of destiny that comes from God. And, and he said that, you know, the cross is where the headwaters of, of real, true life are. And then this was my takeaway uh, from uh, week two that I've just absolutely loved it. I tweeted it out. I hope I gave attribution to it. Adam said this. He said, because there's this eternal destiny and because God is behind it, he said, hope is not wishful thinking. Hope is the continuation of what God did in the empty tomb. That's pretty good, huh? I mean, we could just stay on what, in that one quote from Adam last week and just go, uh, go with that. Um, so you're two weeks in, and um, we don't know how long it's going to be. And uh, I'm not going to push the ball much further down the field. No touchdowns. We're just going to try to move the chains and get... Uh, you know, get like you know, 10 more yards down the field uh, because we're going to look in uh, Colossians chapter 1 starting in verse 9 and going through to about verse uh, 14 and that's, that's as far as we're going to go. So if you brought a Bible today, and I hope you did, and I don't care whether or not the Bible is uh, virtual, uh, electronic, or good old-fashioned ink on paper, uh, if you brought a Bible today, let's, uh, let's take a look at Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 14. You'd think that I would have had it all up and prepared, but no. There we go. So here's our text for today, all right? Today, Paul, writing to these people he's never met, says to them, And so, from the day that we heard, we've not ceased to pray for you, asking that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints of light. And he's delivered us from the domain of darkness, transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Now that's pretty cool. 
Can you, can you feel it? I mean, isn't there just like juice on that? Just right there. And wouldn't you like to have somebody like Paul praying for you? And the beauty of it is, is that inspired by the Holy Spirit 2,000 years ago, Paul was praying for the church in Colossae that he had never been to, that he had never met. But the Spirit captured not only the prayer, but the entire letter. And he is praying for us. If you listen closely, you can hear the cosmic prayer that the Holy Spirit inspired through Paul down through the ages. Little churches in strange, unusual places like Namibia or Irkutsk or, uh, or Lima, Peru, or even exotic places like Campbellsville, Kentucky. That prayer is for us. Aren't you glad? I mean... The Holy Spirit not only inspired it, the Holy Spirit is still breathing it out. The breath of God is on that prayer for us today, right now. Can I get a witness? It's okay. I mean, I realize that in some churches, people are a little more expressive. Here at the Vineyard, what we do is we we ask you to write down, amen, the ushers will collect them, we'll count them later. No, that's not true. It's okay. I mean, uh, what's Adam say? Don't shout me down just because I'm preaching good. But I've been struck all of this week by can our hearts actually be moved by the greatness of the love of God for us, the greatness of his heart, and even the kindness that God shows in preserving such words for us. I mean, I believe this is the inspired word of God, and I believe that God has superintended it, not only in the speaking and in the capturing, but in the preservation and now in the reading of it here. So... It's okay. It's okay if you want to get a little excited. Um, So I'm not in the marketing department, so the best uh, title that I could come up with today was the Cosmic Universal All-Purpose Kingdom of God Prayer for Believers Everywhere at All Times. (laughs) Yeah, I, you know, I don't even think that fits on Twitter, but what the heck, you know? Uh, That's, so if you're taking notes today, this is the title of today's message. Good luck with that, all right? All right, because we're going to take a look at this incredible prayer uh, that, uh, that the Spirit moved in Paul to pray. We're going to look at the prayer, we're going to look at the why, we're going to look at the how, and we're going to look at the what of our destiny as reflected in the destiny of our brothers and sisters who lived a long, long time ago. Okay? So first, here's the prayer. And um, I actually, I, I thought a long time about, uh, and we don't, uh, no one really knows, and I sure don't know, so don't take this as gospel. We don't know where the prayer stops and where Paul's uh, explanation of his heart begins. You, did you know that the original text doesn't actually come with punctuation marks, right? Did you know that the text doesn't come with chapters and verses? Those things were added later so that, you know, slow people like me could find their way through the Bible. Um, So we don't actually know where the prayer starts or stops. He doesn't add an amen so that we know we can open our eyes and pull our heads up. Um, So this is just my take. I think this is the prayer, okay? For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we've not stopped praying for you. And here's the prayer. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. If that is just the prayer, that's powerful enough. I mean, that's a boatload right there. Yeah? And so I want to look at this because Paul says we continually ask for you. And, you know, I'm, I'm glad that at least 
Paul understood that we continually have need and that somebody like Paul was continually asking. Because the truth is, is that there is continual ongoing need in our lives and there is an ongoing eternal source that gives and gives and gives and gives and gives. I'm not near smart enough to understand prayer. I'm no philosopher, that's for darn sure. I don't understand destiny and predestination and, you know, what's supposed to be or what's not supposed to be. But I know this about human nature. Our need is ongoing and continual for the grace of God in our lives. And his source is ongoing and continual for us. And if you've ever tired in prayer, if you've ever thought, what the heck? I don't even know what I'm doing. I'm not even sure I believe what I'm praying. I'm tired of asking or any of those things. Just go back to that word continual. See, because our need is continual. And in fact, the the more that I get to know myself, the more that I realize that, that that continual goes deeper and deeper and deeper in me. And it's actually not a source of shame or even discouragement anymore. It, it, is, it is good to know that as continual as my need is, I'm finite and I am small, but that the source is eternal and it's never ending. So it doesn't matter what your need is. It doesn't matter how long you've been asking. It doesn't matter anything that you think is like, will this ever end? I want you to know it's, it's a comfort that we are finite and small, but that the resource is never ending. Isn't that good? I think that's good. Okay. And here's what he asks. He says that you'd be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So who knows the will of God? Trace, do you know the will of God? No, he says, why are you picking on me? Why are you calling people out? Who knows the will of God? And they're whispering over there. I don't even know what they're saying, but who knows the will of God? And yet Paul prayed that, that we would be filled with the knowledge of the will of God in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Now, have you ever just been in a place where you just don't know what to do? It's like, God, what's your will? What am I gonna do? You ever been there? I've been there. It's, the funny thing is, is that back in the uh, late 60s and the early 70s when I was a teenager and I was coming of age uh, and I kind of traveled in these really crazy charismatic circles, there was one way that you could gather a crowd uh, for, um, for a conference. There was one way that you could write a best-selling book for sure back then and it was just simply a how-to book, How to Know the Will of God for Your Life and Important Decisions. That's an actual title from back then in the day. How to know God's will for your life and and important decisions. And people bought it because wouldn't you just like to have a checklist that just gives you the answers? Wouldn't that be great? The amazing thing to me is though, is that the scripture is actually filled with the will of God for us. And what we want to know is, should I take this job? Should I marry this girl? Should I turn left? Should I turn right? Should I say yes? Should I say no? What color should I wear today? By the way, do you like my own psalm? I mean, we got all, I prayed before I put it on, right? Um, You know, we've got all of these specific questions about, you know, what career do I embark in? You know, you can set your calendar every spring. The graduating seniors at Campbellsville University will want, you know, a a session with a pastor or a counselor like, okay, now I'm graduating from college. I still don't know what I'm going to do. We want to know all these answers 
But in fact, the scripture is filled with the will of God for us. And that should be our starting point. Let me give you some examples. Rejoice evermore. Pray without ceasing and in everything give thanks. For this is the will of God for Christ Jesus in you. So I'll ask you, what's God's will for you? What he said, what he said, rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing and in everything give thanks. You know, before we start to wonder about, you know, uh, where I'm going to go, what I'm going to do, what job I'm going to take, who I'm going to marry, who I'm going to dump, all those sort of things. It's like, because surely you pray about something before you, you know, never mind. Okay. The will of God is that we should find joy. The will of God is that our, our lifestyle should be a lifestyle of prayer. The will of God is that we should be so deep down, thankful, thankful, thankful. And I'm convinced that some of those other will of God questions can be answered for us if we will engage in the will of God as it's already revealed for us. You know, some of that stuff actually works itself out. Here's another one. It is the will of God that by doing right, you would silence the ignorance of foolish men. Oh, I kind of like that one because first of all, all the losers get theirs. Shut up, you ignorant and foolish men. But it's the will of God that by doing right, I can actually tell them to shut their mouths. Now, I've not been authorized to say shut your mouth, but I have been authorized to have the confidence to know that doing right pays off in the eternal realm. Does that make sense? And I mean, I... This is really deep exegesis. You know, it's, it's, it's a Google search. What is the will of God? Boom, First Peter chapter 2, 15 shows up. It's the will of God that by doing right, you can shut their mouths. Now, I know people want to say amen to that because there's people that you want to shut their mouths. But it's by doing right that we do that. Not by talking right, not by claiming rights, not by stamping our feet, but by simply living a life that's filled with doing right. Come on with that. Yeah, amen goes here. And that, that's a translation, right, for that. Yeah. <laughs> how about one more? Let me give you one more. Actually, I'm going to give you two more, but they're the same one. All right, how about this one? Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove in practice the will of God, that which is good and pure and holy. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be actually be able to prove in practice what the will of God is. Do we want to know God's will for our life and important decisions? How about this? Don't let the world press you into its mold. Instead, go through the transformation that God promises to every single one of us and we'll find the fog begins to lift and we'll be able to put into practice the will of God. I got news. That's good news. That's the news I got. That's good news. We can go against the grain of the world and get into the eternal flow that starts at the cross and gives us the certainty of hope of the resurrection. We can do that. We can find that our mind and our thinking is transformed. And in so doing, we can actually begin to put into practice the will of God. Isn't that good? The same verse, by the way, that's uh, Romans 12, 1 and 2. Uh, here it is in the message uh, by Eugene Peterson. It's not really a translation. It's Eugene Peterson, you know, like being my grandfather and just trying to, to share the word of God in practical terms. 
This is the same passage. Just soak it in. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, your eating, going to work and walking around life and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing that you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. And unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down with its level of immaturity, God brings out the best in you and develops a well-formed maturity in you. Who's up for a well-formed maturity? I want you to know my wife is still praying that for me. Okay? Well, I'm up for that. So Paul prays this prayer and he says, I pray continually for you that you'll know the will of God, right? And in knowing the will of God, that you'll have this spiritual source of wisdom or understanding. The last part of this particular phrase, he says, What does he say? With the understanding that the Spirit gives. Through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. How many of us know that there are different sources of wisdom and understanding? And I did great research into this, which means I leaned back in my chair, I looked out the window, and I said, Lord, how many different kinds of wisdom and understanding are there? And because God is kind and gracious to me, he only gave me three on my list. There might be 33. There might be 3,000. But for today, there are three sources of spiritual wisdom and understanding, okay? And those three are simply this. There's diabolical wisdom and understanding. There's natural wisdom and understanding. And there's Holy Spirit-inspired wisdom and understanding, right? Since we have an Irish Latina who spent eight years in Latin America, what's the root of the word diabolical, Pam? And who is Diablo? He's the devil, Right? You know, when you talk about like, you know, this nefarious bad guy and he's diabolical, what you're saying is that it's devilish. Right? I believe that there is a wisdom and a, and a way of understanding your circumstances that has an inspiration that comes from the devil. How medieval am I? I believe there is a devil with a capital D. I believe there are devils with small d's. And I believe that they are out to convince us in our thoughts that their view of reality should be the uncontested view of reality. And may God give us the grace and the mercy to say no to the diabolical wisdom and understanding of this world. Right? Does that make sense? But, you know, the problem with, with them whispering in our ears is that we become deceived And you know the problem with being deceived is you're deceived and you don't know it. Well, let me just say this. If you find your thinking tending towards hopelessness, if you think that you are boxed in and that there is no way out, if you are dead dog tired of the fact that whatever it is that you've been facing has been going on for one year or for five years or for 10 years, or it's hopeless because the one you loved is actually deceased now. And you think that there are absolutely no options. I'm telling you that as a diabolical source, don't believe it. Don't draw your wisdom from such sources. You know, that phrase, um, maybe you don't, 
uh, all truth is God's truth. You ever heard somebody say that? Well, I say horse hockey to that. Because when the devil tempted the Lord in the wilderness, the devil quoted scripture to the Lord of glory. So when we say all truth is God's truth, what we need to understand is that we have to understand the source of the wisdom and understanding that's coming to us, as well as the meaning of the words that are said. Because something can be factually accurate and be a lie. Don't believe the lie. Then there's natural sources of understanding. And that's just, you know, the way of the world. Got my degree. It's from the University of Hard Knocks. Do unto others before they do unto you. (laughs) Right? My dad, God rest his soul, used to tell me that. Let's see if I can get this right. I'm going to be sure to honor him just right. (laughs) He, He said, age cunning, deceit, and treachery will defeat youth and skill every time. That's a great, that's a great comfort to me at age 58. And he was right. I may not be fast enough. I may not be strong enough, but doggone it, I've been around a while and I can just flame talk you out of whatever I need to talk you out of. Not you in particular, but just anybody. All right. Age, cunning, deceit, and treachery will defeat youth and skill. That's the, that's, that's the wisdom of the world, right? It's, you know, just do unto others and cut out before they can do unto you. It's me first, because if you don't watch out for you, who's gonna? All right, a little more serious. I one time sat, (coughs) excuse me, in my office with a man, a man of some reputation, a man with a beautiful family, a man with a great career, a man who was a pillar of the community, and he was thinking about having an affair with somebody that he worked with. He was thinking about leaving his wife and his kids. And he wanted to know what I thought of that. And I said, well, who else have you talked to? And he said, well, I talked to so-and-so and so-and-so told me that I should make sure that I'm happy first because I can't be a good father to my children unless I'm happy. He said, you know how like when you go on the airplane and they say, put the oxygen mask on you first so you can breathe and then help the other person? I'm just going to tell you, that's natural wisdom that says me first. Okay? And I looked right at him and I said, you know, I don't know what exactly you're facing or what the, you know, what the difficulties are, but I know the spirit of the age when I hear it and you're listening to the spirit of the age. I don't think it was diabolical. I just think it was, you know, me firstism. You can look that up. It's in Wikipedia. <laughs> or it will be as soon as I get to a computer. <laughs> and then there's the wisdom that comes from the spirit, which is first peaceable and pure. It's easy to be entreated. It doesn't put itself first. It pours itself out. It pours itself out. It pours itself out. It's the wisdom of the spirit that says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever would trust in him wouldn't face death but would live forever. And says, now, that kind of love is the love that we need to have. That's the the spirit that comes. That's the wisdom and the understanding that comes from the spirit. And Paul's prayer, if I could just get back to the actual text, text is this, is that he prays 
that the source of our wisdom and the source of how we understand the world would be Holy Spirit inspired. And sometimes, as if waking up from a dream, we just simply have to say to ourselves, this thing, this, this path that I've been thinking along, which is it? Is it diabolical? Is it natural? Or does it come from the Spirit? And I'm, gonna, I'm here to tell you, quite literally here to tell you, if it doesn't lead to peace and life, if it doesn't lead to right relationships, peace, and joy, it's not from the Spirit. Okay? So that was his prayer. And here's the why. This is amazing to me. He said that he prayed these things so that we could live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. Clearly, Paul was on drugs right there. Because who here can live a life worthy of the Lord? I'll just wait. Who here can live a life worthy of the Lord? When in doubt, I direct you to the inspired word of God and an apostle who prayed this, and this prayer has been prayed for 2,000 years. Who here can live a life worthy of the Lord? I'm going to keep working it. Who here has the potential within them to live a life that is worthy of the Lord? All right. It only took four tries. (laughs) That's why I said he has to be on drugs because what's the prevailing wisdom? I'm just a miserable sinner. Saved by grace. I sin. That's what I do. He forgives me. That's what he does. It's a good arrangement. Oh, yeah, nobody ever actually vocalizes it, but don't we think that? I screw up, he wipes the slate clean. Nice gig. Except that Paul said that he prayed that we would know the the knowledge of the will of God with all spiritual wisdom and understanding in order that, so that we could live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. So let me just ask you, in the Greek, Right after all of that, in the Greek, does it say, psych? Uh, I'm not much of a Greek scholar, but I looked it up. It doesn't say, psych. It doesn't say that. It says that the upside of our life in Jesus Christ is that we can live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. Now, I'm going to just get real with you, as real as I know how to be. I have sinned. It was April 24th, 1988. Okay? So I've sinned. Perfection is not possible for me only because of my past. And I'm going to say that that's probably true about you too. But the upside is that a life lived in concert with the Holy Spirit is that we can find ourselves being transformed more and more, beginning to live a life that is worthy of the Lord Jesus and that we can please him in every way. I love this because the words worthy and the words please him do not demand the perfection that the legalist in us thinks is what God is after. To live a life worthy of the Lord doesn't mean that we never screw up or even that we wouldn't sin. Do you think that our heavenly father has the expectation that we'll never, ever, ever mess up again? He just wants us to live a worthy life 
and that it please him in every way. Now, those of us that have had children, isn't that what you want for your kids? Is that they'll live a worthy life and that, and that when you're on your deathbed and there's the kids and the grandkids all around the deathbed, that you're just so pleased with the lives they've lived, right? And, well, I'm old, so I think in terms of like what it's going to be like on the deathbed, right? But I mean, seriously, when I look at my children, and I've got a 27-year-old, a 25-year-old, and an 11-year-old, when I look at my children, I just want to be so pleased with them. But I've never demanded perfection in a legalistic sense. Do I, do I want them to make wrong choices? No. Do I want them to sin and, and let that be an affront to God? No, I don't want any of that. But we need to recalibrate what worthy and pleasing him in every way means. Because those words are relational first and way down the line, maybe 21st, 22nd, or 23rd, does it have to do with actually execution? How many of us want to be in a relationship with a, with a husband, a wife, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, a fiancé? How many of us want to be in a relationship that if the husband screws up, that he very quickly realizes, uh-oh, and then he just comes back and he says, listen, I want you to know I was wrong. I was out of line and I'm really sorry. And as God will help me, I'll try really hard not to do that again and to see things from your perspective. Isn't that the relationship lives that you want out of your husbands? I mean, you know, nobody has this unrealistic expectation in human relationships. Do you think that the heavenly father has unrealistic expectations of you? And the good news is, the good news is, is that the upside is quite literally the sky's the limit because of the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus and the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives now. What's your upside? It's limitless. Your past has already settled the fact that, okay, you're not perfect. So don't worry about being not perfect. It's already settled. I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. You're not perfect. Well, maybe. No, you're not perfect either. Okay. Right? But the good news is, is that our upside is incredible. Okay. Try this phrase on. This means that I'm going to say it and then I want you to repeat it. I want you to, you know, like here, try this on. Okay. Ready? I will live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. Now, if I get you to chant that a hundred times, I can mesmerize and hypnotize you. No, you see, it's not about manipulation, but I wanted your ears to hear your lips declare the possibilities that the scripture offers us. It doesn't matter that you hear my lips declare it in your ears. It matters hugely that your lips hear it or your lips say it and your ears hear it. There we go. Yeah, I talk for a living. We need to rethink what is possible. We need to rethink the possibilities of life in Christ because here is, here is part of what the Lord Jesus' life was about. He showed us the actual possibilities of a life lived in tune with the Holy Spirit. He didn't live a life of perfection because he was the boss's son. He lived a life of perfection because he was in tune with the Holy Spirit. That makes sense. That's a huge like paradigm shift. The life of Jesus is not God setting the bar incredibly high and then saying, come on, jump, jump, jump. 
It's God saying, this is what's possible when someone lives in concert with the Spirit. So, all right. So there's the prayer. Here's why he prays the prayer. And then here's the how of the prayer. And uh, they taught me back a long time when I don't even know who they are, but they taught this to me. Look for the verbs, right? So we've got verbs, bearing fruit, growing, being strengthened, and giving thanks. You see those? So let's take a look at the four verbs just real quick, can we? Here's the how. Here's the how of this. Bearing fruit in every good work. Um, Adam really did a good job of this. Just recently, he did a series about abiding in Christ, right? And that came out of John's gospel where he talks about abide in me and you'll bear much fruit. And by the way, the branch that bears fruit, it'll get pruned. So it bears more fruit and the branch that doesn't, well, it'll get pruned too. So, you know, hey, get with it. Pruning's just a part. It's not because God's mad at us. It's because God wants to make us fruitful. And the amazing thing is, is that in a life lived in concert with the Holy Spirit, with all spiritual wisdom and understanding, is the possibility that we can bear fruit in every good work. Sometimes I work the equation backwards. What if I'm doing good works, but they're not bearing fruit? And then I think, you know what? Sometimes I'm just going after the good idea or the good work, but I'm not necessarily in concert with the Holy Spirit. Would it be a good thing to help um, poor people in Buenos Aires? Well, why aren't you there? What's the matter with you? But now, okay, that's funny. And it's especially funny because I got to pick on Aaron, right? But here's the deal. Good ideas, good ideas are not enough to have the stamp of the guidance and the wisdom of God. Because otherwise, why aren't we all helping the poor people in Buenos Aires? Right? The issue is, is to find the good works that God, and and this is from Ephesians, the good works that God has prepared beforehand for you and for you, and then walk in those because those are the ones that will bear fruit. If I try to do the good works that God has planned for Disco and Lori, I'm not going to bear the same fruit that Disco and Lori would bear fruit in the works that, the good works that have been prepared beforehand for them. That's like that knowing God's will part. Does that make sense? Okay. All right. So, by the way, let me just, not to to beat this horse too long. Who can be fruitful? You're getting there. You're getting there. All of us. What heavenly father would give you the new birth and consign you to a life where fruitfulness wasn't possible? What kind of dad would he be? Right? Okay? But we think he's up there with these eternal scales, weighing the balance. I mean, and there, there, there is a separation of wheat and tares and of, uh, what is it, uh, sheep and goats. I mean, I, I realize there, there is a scale, but it's not the scale that was, well, you didn't read your Bible this morning, so I'm pretty ticked off at you. <laughs> it's not that scale. Okay? Who can bear fruit in every good work? I can. All right. Growing in the knowledge of God. Growing in the knowledge of God. This one's tweetable, all right? Infinite God, infinite growth available to us. Infinite God, infinite growth available to us. Um, <laughs> one time, my wife and I had only been married like about 10 years 
And we had this young couple that spent, uh, like they stayed with us for two weeks and they were engaged. And uh, they stayed with us for a couple of weeks. So they got to hang out for a while. We got to know them a little bit. And one night, just like the silliest question ever, uh, they said, how long have you been married again? We said, well, it's like 10 years. And they go, what in the world do you guys talk about after 10 years? <laughs> and, you know, we laugh, but, you know, it, you know, to somebody that's going forward in the marriage, it's like, oh, you know, well, uh, and I'm going to plumb the depths of this thing. And, you know, six months, you know, I've got it down. And, you know, they were like, you know, first of all, you're old. Second of all, don't you run out of stuff to talk about after 10 years? Well, I'm happy to report that coming up for 30 years this fall, we haven't run out of things to talk about. I, I want to I report something else. The more I get to know my wife, the greater the depths in her I see. There's more of her for me to discover even 30 years into the marriage. And guess what? She's just a human being. Infinite God infinite growth available to us, right? Growing in the knowledge of God. You see, we can pursue him forever because there's ever more of him to discover. That one works, doesn't it? We can pursue him forever because there's ever more of him to discover. And then finally, the only question is, but what kind of knowledge? You know, there are these savant, these these crazy people that like can memorize a whole book of the Bible you know, right? You've heard about it. Why well, I know the Gospel of John. You start with in the beginning was the Word, and I can't go any further because that's all I know of the Gospel of John. <laughs> and they've memorized the whole thing. Do you realize that you could memorize the whole Bible and still not exhaust the knowledge of God that's available to you? Suppose you were the super, super savant who actually could start with in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth and go all the way through to whatever the last words of Revelation are and actually memorize it. And I bet you there have been people that have done that in two millennia, right? That doesn't mean we've exhausted the knowledge of God. In fact, if you know all about someone, but you've never met them, they actually call that being a stalker. It's to know them, to know them, to know them, to know them intimately. Isn't it nice when you do have a relationship so so deep that you're somewhere and an event happens and you go, man, I, I, I just know how Kim would respond right here. And I'm so happy for you that Kim's not here because she'd just bust you right in the mouth, you know, because I, I know how she'd respond, you know. Isn't that nice that you know somebody so well? Here's, here's how you know that you're getting to know somebody is that you actually warmly think, man, if he were here right now, I know exactly what he would do. By the way, that's how to answer the question, what would Jesus do? Is to know him so well that you go, oh man, if he were here right now, I'd know exactly what he would do. Then you go, well, he's not here, so I'll do it for him. No, I mean, that's right there, that's discipleship. My relationship is so good with him, I just know what he'd do. He's not here. I'll take care of it. The knowledge of God, ever increasing. And it's not just the book learning knowledge, right? Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience. Um, I do a little bit of uh, writing and a little bit more editing on stuff like on the internet and the like. And um, here's one of the rules they teach writers is that a passive construction 
is is weak, not being strengthened, but rather, you know, strong, right? Being strengthened means it's passive. It means something is happening from the outside on you that affects you and gives you strength, right? The strength that Paul's talking about here on the how to bear fruit, grow in the knowledge of God, is that we can be strengthened from a source beyond ourselves. Do you know that, again, you can strengthen yourself? I mean, you can do it. I did a push-up once. I felt strong, right? I said, I'm glad that's over with. Now I'm strong, right? But it's, it's more than that. The source of godly power is from outside of ourselves. And I love this passage. I'll tell you where it's from in a minute. But just for a moment, just for a moment, just listen to this. If you're a close your eyes kind of person, fine. If not, you don't have to. Listen to this. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is an everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even vigorous young men grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They'll soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Isn't that beautiful? It's Isaiah chapter 40. It's like, I have passages that I like more, but as a whole chapter, it's my favorite chapter in the scriptures. You need a source of empowerment and strength and and encouragement. If life has absolutely kicked your booty this week, just open up Isaiah 40 and read it four or five times. I'm sorry. Okay. Okay. We actually want to ask God to fill us with his strength and not work on our own strength because eventually even vigorous young men stumble and fall. And so then they take steroids and they can go a little bit further. But even those guys stumble and fall. Isn't that right? The same thing is true, by the way, of mental strength, mental discipline. I'm all for the power of positive thinking. I really am. I'm a glass half full kind of guy. I am all for sharpening your mind and doing math within reason that will teach you the power of concentrating. I mean, all of those things will actually build you up. And at my age, I go to lumosity.com and try to preserve what I have left. Okay, so whether it's physical strength or whether it's mental strength or whether it's emotional strength to just be able to say, yeah, you know, I I have this great empathy for where you are. But all of those kinds of strength have limits. But we want to be strengthened with the power that comes from God. And then just when you're thinking this is great because then I could be in the next Avengers movie. It says so that you might have great endurance and patience. Do you know why God wants to give us strength? Is so that we can patiently endure. Well, that's a buzzkill. <laughs> I want power to kick butt and take names. I want power to walk victoriously. I want power to be the, the head and not the tail. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm actually in for all of those things. But what the scripture reveals here as Paul prays for us, what the scripture reveals here is that the first way that God wants to empower us, 
is that he wants to give us the strength to endure. And here's Paul writing, what? From prison to encourage others. That's the strength and the power that I want to have. All right? Giving joyful thanks to the Father. Um, I, I just think like thankfulness is the spiritual thermometer of our lives. And I don't actually have the time to be able to go into it. But here's the deal. I think that thankfulness is the touchstone of our spirituality. Okay? Giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. He's rescued us from the dominion of darkness, brought us into the kingdom of his Son, whom he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Do you know the Father's delight in his joy is to give us the kingdom? Do you know the kingdom of God cannot be attained? It is always received. You can search that out for yourself. The kingdom of God is never attained. It is always received. And the best news of all is fear not, little flock. It is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. What's the kingdom of God? It is right relationships, peace, and joy, all wrapped up in a dynamic relationship with the Holy Spirit. That's, that's the kingdom. That's what he has. Uh, some theologians say, well, you know, Christ's kingdom was inaugurated by the coming of Christ. They all sound like this, coming of Christ. But it's already here in some senses, but it's not yet here in other senses. You ever heard that? The already and the not yet? Well, I've got news for you. Some of the kingdom may be part of the not yet, but if you have given your heart to Jesus Christ, you are in the kingdom right now, right? And who was it that qualified you for your inheritance in the kingdom? It wasn't because you were such a good boy. God graciously has qualified you for the inheritance of a son or a daughter in the kingdom. Notice this, by the way, the second time we're seeing this word qualify, right? The kingdom, it's his pleasure to give it to us. We are passively strengthened and we passively receive the kingdom, but it's an active passivity. Yeah, that's preacher talk. So how will you know when you have received this inheritance? It's when you begin to experience right relationships, peace and joy and the presence of the Holy Spirit. He's actually done this for us. He's delivered us out of the domain of darkness Insert sci-fi fantasy references here all you want. Let's leave that dark domain and find our way into the kingdom of light in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. And I wish I had more time to necessarily go into that. But actually the point of our, of our series is, is to say this is amazing. This is an amazing letter, Colossians. It's there. It's there for us. Can we get the ministry team to make their way down from the balconies and up the aisles and appear on the great platform? What world am I living in? Mm. <laughs> Praise God. All right. Here's the deal. If you've believed the true facts, but they've actually lied to you through the true facts, there's freedom available to you. If you need patient strength, the kind of strengthening so that you can endure with great patience, 
that's available here. We've got Josh and Summer. Do we have like two more people that would like to self-appoint and come on up? Is that all right? Don't be shy. How about uh, Trace and Tina? Can you guys do that? Is that all right? Okay. You just did. Wasn't that nice of them to volunteer? That's so nice of them. Okay. All right. Lord Jesus. You know, Lord, I've just spent a week with this prayer. And now my prayer is, is that I could work this prayer into my life next week and the week after and the week after. I ask for your grace and your empowerment to do just that. Would you, Lord, take these words off of the dry page covered with ink and make them burst and blossom into life the soil of my heart. In your name we pray. Amen. Mass has ended, friends. Go in peace. God be with you.